When it comes to the case of freedom, look, the biggest issue we have is we actually have a pretty good constitution here in Australia. Um, and the constitutional law hasn't been abided by. The government has abdicated its responsibilities as far as being responsible for, for quarantine and abdicated that down to the states. And you know what, guys, every single time the system has failed, you've seen the military called out here in Australia, um, be that from manning borders, manning hotel quarantine, assisting in vaccinations, being called into nursing homes. Um, you know, that's how I know the systems and processes of the military work. I know the culture in the military works. It's not perfect, um, but it's definitely got those systems, processes, and the biggest part is accountability. But until we are somehow able to bring back accountability into this country, all these freedoms and everything else we talk about, when they get impacted, we have no mechanism through which we can actually hold them accountable. If we didn't have a federal election coming up in the next few months, I truly am fearful of how much further this would go and how much more this would progress. Well, g'day everyone and welcome to the Heston Russell podcast. This episode has been taken from an online interview I did with the Global Freedom Rally live broadcast event with two guys, Andy and Jake. During this episode, they actually interview me and discuss the Australian Values Party, where it came from, who I am and where the motivation came to step into the political arena. It gets right into the raw detail of my journey, as many of you have been following, and also provides even more of a great insight to the DNA and the unique brand positioning of the Australian Values Party, what we stand for and where we intend on going. Without further ado, let's invite the leader of the Australian Values Party, Heston Russell, to the Global Freedom Rally. Welcome, my friend. Hey, g'day, guys. Andy and Jake and Cam behind the scenes. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm really excited to interview you. I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit more because I've done research. I've watched your videos. I've been following you for a little while. You've only just come onto my radar um, as of late, but immediately I resonated with you and your message. So I was really excited to get you on today. So again, thank you for the work that you do and for coming on. My absolute pleasure. And uh, well done on the conversations today. I think I'd have to probably say straight up that I hope that everyone's listening to this objectively and making up their own decisions. We've got a few polarizing people on there, but it's been great to see some very energized and purposeful people having these conversations today. Absolutely. And look, this is part of the reason why we do these events is because we really saw there was a lack of debate happening across the board. You know, in in my humble opinion, I saw a really one-sided point of view for a long time. And I think it's so important that we do debate this out, whether it's the doctors, the scientists, the politicians. Um, I think people need to hear both sides in order to make a you know, a really rational and correct decision. So hopefully we're bringing some of that and uh, and people, of course, can uh, think a little bit deeper mm. and more rationally about what's taking place and make some better decisions. More importantly, I just want people to not um, be in a state of fear as much anymore is one of my other missions with what we're doing here. I think people can be better humans, make better decisions when they are not. But that only comes with education and uh, that's why we have men like you on board. So without further ado, mate, I want to just get to know you a little bit better and, and for our audience too. Can you just tell us about your background? I know you've got a, a, an incredible past in the military, etc. Who are you yeah. and where did you come from? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a Queenslander myself. I live here in Brizzy. And straight out of school, I joined the Defence Force Academy and the Royal Military College. So that's four years in Canberra. And I spent 16 years of my life uh, in the military, in the army. And the last nine years of that 
uh, within our special forces. And during that time, I deployed to Afghanistan four times. I deployed to Iraq. I deployed to East Timor. I did a number of uh, counterterrorism missions here at home, lived in the US for two of those years and uh, basically self-managed my own transition out of the Defence Force around 2017 and experienced what a lot of our uh, veterans experience, a loss of purpose, a loss of community and particularly a loss of identity coming out of being immediately relevant and at my best in crisis when surrounded by my team. Um, I retired as, an, as a major and as an officer, I always had you know, a platoon of 44 guys in Afghanistan or a, or a team of 100 when I was running the Special Forces Selection course the last year of my career. Um, and then I went into a world where I wasn't really needed and I went into a world where, um, you know, I had previously been surrounded by accountability, been professionally taught, uh, trained, led and taught actual leadership. Uh, that is motivation through inspiration, as opposed to what we see on the outside here, which is leaders who control utilizing their authority and motivate through fear. Uh, and basically found myself uh, displaced from those values that I shared within my collective community in the Defence Force and that saw me uh, be accountable, be responsible uh, and act uh, with integrity and pretty much degenerated myself with a relationship breakdown and everything else that happened at the start of COVID, loss of business, loss of employment, potentially loss of my own um, housing circumstances. And that led to me plummeting into a bit of a, a mental health um, spiral. Um, I had undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder, undiagnosed anxiety and depression, and culminated with my own suicidal ideation uh, towards the end of um, 2020. Uh, and at that point, I sort of had my own aha moment and sort of really snapped to, and in particular, I'd been struggling through the Department of Veterans Affairs system, trying to get injuries that I'd sustained in service and hidden um, addressed. And at the same time, myself and my guys had been exposed to this four and a half years of that Brereton report investigation. We were pretty much segregated, interviewed, interrogated. And for the first time in my life, having to revisit all of those 67 missions my platoon conducted in Afghanistan in 2012, and going through every one of the 117 insurgents we killed and over 200 we captured uh, in freeze frames and making sure that um, there wasn't something there that looked out of place in the context of 2019, 2020, uh, in a context that was claiming more of the guys than I knew in my work um, to contemplate and conduct their own suicide uh, than we'd actually lost in combat. Um, and I took to uh, the media to start speaking out. Then the Burton report was released, um, which also had the Chief of Defence Force step up saying he was going to remove the 3,000 honours and awards from our Special Forces members, 21 of those who were special forces members that were lost during that conflict. And I stepped up um, my organization, Voice of a Veteran, and we campaigned and launched a petition that gained 90,000 signatures in two weeks and then started campaigning for the Royal Commission into Defense and Veteran Suicide using that platform and that media exposure I had. And both of those were achieved uh, just before Anzac Day um, last year. And we have the Royal Commission underway at the moment. And during that time, particularly last year, campaigning for that Royal Commission, I physically went to Canberra uh, and wrote a motion that was uh, just an ornamental motion because only the Prime Minister can call a Royal Commission. And working with others, including Senator Lambie, Pauline Hanson, um, nearly all the independents walked from door to door and basically lobbied um, to gain two of the National Party members who were going to cross the floor on the Royal Commission and ended up um, succeeding. And during that process, got to see behind the curtain of what's going on in Canberra and got to really meet some good politicians, but really appreciate that too many of them are in there 
simply because they're designed to be uh, mouthpieces, designed to be media entities, designed to be the front people um, for these big political parties that are actually the root cause of so many of the problems in our current system. And uh, really realise that COVID and what we've been through as a society has actually just really demonstrated the fractures and fault lines within this system. And that comes about from a, a lack of leadership. Yes, then that was that lack of, that lack of leadership. I'm actually a little bit. Yeah, you're on. So I was going to say oh, that lack of leadership is again coming from a place whereby, you know, I spent four years uh, in Canberra um, training before I was allowed to command 30 people in our military. Mm -hmm. um, before I went out on a mission in Afghanistan, I had to provide 100 pages worth of group planning that I sat down with my team when I was in Iraq and we planned um, and, and took on ISIS, the modern day manifestation of evil in 2016 and 17. We provide strategic plans six months in advance, how we we're going to draw down from Iraq, how we we're going to hand over um, back to the people, back to other coalition forces. And then when we had the fall of Afghanistan in August last year and this charity that I've stepped up, Veteran Support Force, uh, and I got to see the government basically stand up and say that this was a surprise, basically stand up and provide all these brilliant press conferences while myself and my volunteers were engaging with Australians and, and, uh, and Afghans who are still stuck in Afghanistan, I realised that, again, our government is focused on um, public opinion. It's focused on media. It is focused on providing marketing messages as opposed to rolling up its sleeve and getting it done. And After having eight separate political parties ask for me to run for them in some capacity over the last year, I decided to go through the process with a few of them and, again, see that not enough are actually the people out there on the floor making the decisions. There's too many backdoor bureaucrats and uh, party members who are more interested in their own power and their own authority. So I set about putting out a call to action to the public. At that time, they changed the law, so you needed 1,500 people to form a political party. And within two weeks, we had 2,000 members. And as of January this year, the Australian Values Party uh, was formed. And um, I'll just quickly close on the quick summary of the Australian Values Party. Uh, you know, it originally was just a party for me to launch into politics, and now at the moment, working through a short list of candidates, got about 300 applications and whittled down to about 20 good candidates at the moment. And we're still receiving uh, more applications and anyone who wants to can go to australianvalues.org.au. And per our constitution, we're a political party that encourages people to have their own conscious vote. And in my opinion, and in my experience uh, within special forces and running selection courses, the party is here to demonstrate its value to those politicians. People should want to join the Australian Values Party, even other independents or people from other political parties, because we have our first policy, which is our workforce policy, that requires everyone to sign up to, including staff members, mandatory random drug and alcohol testing, um, extra behavioural standards that include fitness and nutrition training, yearly compulsory leadership training and planning training, actual proper strategic planning, using a lot of my old guys and girls that I used to work with uh, in other government departments, including the Department of Defence. And I believe the party should be there to help to develop our politicians to be the very best. They are meant to be our elite level of leaders. And I have my own podcast, the Heston Russell podcast, previously the voice of a veteran podcast. And I've interviewed Tony Abbott. I've interviewed Julia Gillard. I've interviewed a bunch of other people. And the current leadership crisis we have is because we have people who are not professionally developed to be politicians. It's great that we have a democracy where anyone can put their hand up to be a politician, but we then must bring about the systems and processes to make sure that they are professionally trained in those key elements that we are failing in at the moment, and that is leadership 
not being a leader through authority, strategic planning, not relying on bureaucrats to provide them all the plans, and teamwork, as opposed to being individuals and factions within parties, but looking to work together. And we are a party that is set on being right in the middle and approaching every policy with a pragmatic mindset, accepting the strengths of the other parties and working with them and looking to do, as you've heard before, and I love Tofa's video for those who haven't seen it, winning that balance of power to make sure that we can get into there and do what I did during the campaigning for the Royal Commission, bring people together with purpose and remind them what is actually needed and put that through a professional process. And the only way we can do that is leadership by example. So that's our goal, that's our plan, and that's our mission uh, leading up to this next federal election. Powerful. And I was going to say, you speak with such sincerity and just razor-sharp truth and a wealth of experience as well. So you've actually got me hook, line, and sinker here for the Australian Values Party. <laughs> yes. Honestly, yeah. that is, you're really speaking my language, especially in terms of education and leadership and, the standards. and just the BS yes. you called on the other political political parties and the experiences that you've been in. And I'm wondering, you did summarise it just then, but at the, at, at the end of the day, if you had to really whittle it down, what is the V in AVP? So the V is, is values. And it's a funny word for so many people who go conservative straight away. But for those who aren't used to that shared values, really breaking down what it is you have an intrinsic connection to and motivates you in your own belief system, just simply put it around and say, what do you value? Um, you know, what is that Australian way of life that we value? What are those character traits or what are those that you would like to do unto others as you would have them do unto you? And particularly in a current society where when I was a kid, I was brought up, you know, never judge a book by its cover. And, you know, I'm a veteran, I'm special forces. I'm also, I'm also a gay man. And I have all these labels that people have always tried to throw onto me. And throughout my military career, what I loved was that none of that had any relevance because I was assessed on my actions and my attributes, my actions and attitudes each and every day, my performance and my personality. And here and now we're chasing ourselves down these rabbit wines based on, you know, diversity, not for a purpose, but for diversity's sake. And the role of a leader is to unite people with purpose and make sure that those in between feel valued and a part of that mission. You know, I went on 67 missions just on one deployment to Afghanistan and I never had to tell my guys what to do. I worked with them in the planning and when the plan changed, we sat down and reviewed it and we worked together as a team. And never once on those missions did I fear for my own life. But right here and right now, you know, there's more uncertainty and there's more isolation. There's such a breakdown of communication. There is simply being told what to do. And again, I default back to that year that I ran the Special Forces Selection Course, the Commando Selection Course, 2016. And all the conditions are being set for the way in which that we were able to run those courses and have 90% of the candidates on those courses pull out their own form and withdraw themselves at own request. We would isolate them. We would remove any positive or negative affirmation from them. We would deny them that association with each other and we would create the maximum amount of uncertainty around them. And myself, uh, particularly working with the veteran community and seeing how so much of the trauma that is actually experienced in the veteran community and leads to the mental health and suicide crisis actually comes from moral injury. When people's beliefs have been undermined and when they start to feel abandoned and displaced from those values that they hold true. Not much of it, only about 10% actually comes from proper combat trauma. And yesterday I went down to Canberra, I went to the rally and I haven't made a big song and dance about it, but I just went there and I spoke to the people and there is so much fear. 
there is so much uncertainty. Um, there is so much individual isolation and people who are capitalizing on that as well. There's also a lot of hope and that hope actually comes from us connecting as a community. And within the veteran community, you know, this crisis wasn't getting any better because everyone's relying on that clinical inter intervention. They're relying on seeing their psychologist and their psychiatrist once a week. But the best therapy that I've seen for myself and for my peers is when we get together as a community and we connect with the purpose to simply support each other. And then what can be achieved, our actions collectively and our identity restored individually is actually what could magnify all of our purpose from there. And there's so much negativity at the moment, mainstream media, even a few of your speakers on here have got a lot of chaos and a lot of fear. And the number one thing I call on everyone to do at the moment is to focus on what's not online and focus on what is around you at the moment because the power of the Australian people, I know, is the strongest part that cannot be broken regardless of what is going on. And we just need to make sure that we unite with each other and educate each other heading into this next federal election because there are people like myself and an amazing team we have there who are ready to serve and support the Australian people. We just need your help getting awareness out there. And we did our party launch. I did a press conference three weeks ago and Channel 7, Channel 9 and the ABC sent cameras out and not a single one put a single news article online or a video or, or nothing. So we rely on word of mouth and the power of the people and just make sure that we can all do what we can do at our own individual at our own individual individual level and appreciate that a lot of people are scared and worried at the moment and just we need to support each other at that ground and community level absolutely incredible and you know again hats off for adding in these standards around your political party i love that you're bringing in standards around health and fitness yeah. and drug and alcohol testing i mean i think these things are completely neglected across the board um, you see, even in the police force, the standards of fitness and, uh, and, and health aren't upheld to the degree that you would assume that they should be. And so I think it's, you know, incredible to see this taking place. And hopefully that then can flow into other institutions and parties, et cetera. Because, again, if we all raise the bar and raise our standards, yeah. starting with ourselves and then, of course, focusing on, uh, on the outer you can really make so much change and so much impact. So I think that's huge. Is, we just need to, that get, we need to get proactive with we need to get proactive yeah. with this, guys. You know, we all know that the best uh, the best we can be with regardless of whatever pandemic or whatever comes along is to have our best level of physical fitness. And you guys have all seen the results that were released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. At the same time, we we had far more people die to heart disease, far more people die to diabetes. And where are the public health announcements about that? We basically set the most perfect conditions through the fitness industry was one of the first to close down, isolating people at home, creating higher levels of stress, you know, closing children's playgrounds, but making sure every bottle shop was open during lockdowns, you know, and then all of a sudden once COVID finally does hit us, people's immune systems are at an all-time low, their cortisol levels are at an all-time high. And during my time in Special Forces, I never really focused on fitness uh, for an aesthetic. It was for a purpose. The fitter I was, the better I was at my job. And now here and now, our job has to be the fitter we can be is the fitter that we can combat anything that comes along, pandemic or, or just our general health and wellness otherwise. And our entire current political system with people who aren't trained in leadership and who aren't trained in professional planning are purely reactive. And we need to start bringing in so many more of these proactive measures. And the, the fitter you are physically, the better you can be mentally and emotionally. And it's only a small area, but you know, have a look at the politicians in Canberra at the moment. 
um, and outside of a handful, um, show me those that actually look after their physical fitness. Show me those that are potentially aspirational for the next generation of Australians coming through, trying to raise a political party and go to those people who should be politicians is the hardest thing to be because they're already successful in their everyday lives. And the last thing they want to do is to be exposed to this cancerous game that politics has become and this media circus it's become. We need to be supporting uh, and selecting the very best people to be our leaders or we're going to be in this same position regardless of what the issue is time and time again. Mm. Completely agree. I would love to see you uh, do a YouTube video in Canberra, challenging all the politicians to a push-up competition <laughs> and, or, exactly, and or sprints, uh, just to prove the point that we need to improve uh, improve our physical fitness in the game. But you're right. It, it does absolutely protect us from so much more than just immediate illness. And uh, I think yeah. it's so important to uh, recognise that. You mentioned that during the lockdowns or in 2020 that you faced some... Uh, some challenging times yourself, whether it was yeah. it was mental and emotional. Did you say you lost a business? And yeah, yeah. So was that yeah. was that due to yeah. lockdowns? Yeah. So I um, you know, I went through a few phases and stages. I got involved with a yeah. veterans charity. Um, there's a, a great OnlyFans story. People find out about me. I put it all on the line in the name of charity. And um, I actually managed a um, a juice shop and an organic um, food shop with my sister down in Sydney. And uh, when the pandemic first hit, um, we took on board a lot of the, the local workers that were also my friends from the fitness brand, Barry's Bootcamp I brought over here, who didn't qualify for uh, any incentive. They're on holiday working visas, they were on student visas. And, um, you know, we basically, uh, unfortunately, ran that into the ground and had to close that down. And uh, my relationship for four years broke down, literally when we landed back into two weeks self-isolation together. And it was just a very interesting time. And for me, it was the first time in my life um, that I uh, was alone. Uh, and it really helped me appreciate uh, my love language is quality time. Um, and I really miss being around people. And that loneliness is one of the biggest killers that we need to make sure uh, we all do our part to make sure that no one feels alone in this world. Um, and I really sort of spiraled and refused to accept help. I'd gone from 16 years as a poster boy for special forces with all medals on my chest and everything else in between. And I saw um, vulnerability as a weakness as opposed to uh, mental health being a reality. And as opposed to facing that and allowing people to see that I was struggling, I sort of persisted on and instead um, got to the lowest point in my life. And um, that's why I'm here and now filled with purpose, filled with um, the emotion you'll hear coming through in my voice. Because once you sort of get to that point in your life where you literally think the solution is to remove yourself from it and you realize how much more you have to give for the right reasons. Um, there's not really a lot that can penetrate under your skin. And um, as long as you do what I've managed to do and find that community again, um, and find that purpose that is authentic and for the right reason, and for someone like me is in service, the way I show love is through acts of service. At a time when I have realized that every single thing in my life has led me to this point with a nation that now appreciates so many of these things and a nation that is facing that same mental health crisis myself and so many of my veteran friends have experienced. Um, you just couldn't sit by for the next, you know, three years post this election wondering what if, and the hardest part was to remove others from those pedestals that we constantly put them on, holding ourselves back, thinking we're not good enough, thinking that you need someone else to tap you on the shoulder and say, how about you like to do this, but instead start to act on that authentic, uh, purpose and start speaking 
um, with that compassion and working with others to achieve what needs to be done, regardless of what that takes. And Heston, I just want to say you you live in Brisbane, so we have a studio in the Gold Coast here. I'd love to get oh, together with you sometime and doing yeah. this for a few hours because there's so much to unpack here with you and your story. Mm -hmm. I want to know all about your family and the fact that you're a fifth generation soldier, what you went through, get to the bottom of the values party a little bit more. So sure. love to get together sometime and do a longer form podcast if that's okay with you. Yeah, let's do it. This is this is those best conversations are much better in a two-way range than just sitting there firing <laughs> from the hip myself. Yeah. Phenomenal. We're looking forward to it. I want to quickly go back to what we were just talking about because, you know, the, the way that I look at it, I understand, I consider myself mentally and emotionally strong. I'm no commando, but definitely uh, work on my mindset, etc. And I look at what's taken place over the last two years. And for the first time in my life, I had some big dips and it was a shock to me because Again, all my businesses, I've got uh, all these gyms in Victoria. We've been shut down for two years. We've got businesses closing. We've got people being isolated, as you mentioned. And there really yeah. is and was a mental health crisis taking place. And I know hearing your story from, from someone as esteemed as you who has been through so much training to also yeah. feel and face that, I also want to say, you know, good on you for standing up and sharing that story because that in itself is brave being that vulnerable. But, um, but clearly if you or me are able to feel it during this time, imagine what the average person in Victoria or New South Wales, the average business owner who's lost all their life savings, everything that their identity is attached to is going through right now and will go through for the rest of this year. Um, I'm, I'm really worried about a lot of people, especially moving forward when I know in March, uh, lease protection comes off for a lot of uh, bricks and mortar businesses, yeah. etc. So, with all that said, what is your opinion on how the current government has handled um, the lockdowns based on the data that we have now, but we have had for a while? Um, and do you think that we need to really change things for the future and handle handle it a lot better? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to just sing out to the, the unsung heroes in this. And those those are those business owners, particularly those small business owners, those people who have had to not only manage their own lives, but take on the responsibility of supporting their staff and their own lives and managing all the different directives that have come down. And I have so many friends um, who I've just watched, you know, take on and age years, decades over this last time. Um, and I just really look forward to being able to, to support them as best as we can, because they are the ones at the cold face. Um, you know, this, like I said, this pandemic has really exposed the fractures and fault lines um, within our, our current system. You know, I, <laughs> I've gone to Afghanistan four times. I've gone to Iraq and particularly before that last deployment to Iraq, um, you know, I had to learn how to operate in a chemical, biological, radiological or nuclear environment to up to, you know, three, four, five months in full masks and equipment and everything. And then all of a sudden, um, I was told as a small business owner that I wasn't allowed to personally manage, you know, my 60 square meter shop um, because the government um, sitting up in their ivory tower was going to tell me how I was able to look after my staff, regardless of all the other protocols that every business owner has to go through every single year um, at council, at state and safety and everything else in between. Um, and what we've truly exposed is that there's lots of great lofty statements up here. Um, from politicians and bureaucrats who don't have that experience at putting that then into operational operational and tactical implementation on the ground. What this up here actually means down here, excuse me, and first and foremost, the biggest thing that it's exposed is the simple fact that we have states and territories who are able to make separate laws for Australians based on health, 
even though we are all Australians and we all one country. And the word Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Australia, stands for common welfare. And uh, one of the biggest things we need to do, be it take our nation to referendum and a big part of our um, governance policy uh, at the Australian Values Party is we need to revise the delineation of powers between the states and federal layers of government. Um, all Australians uh, should come under one uh, health system law and individual states should not be allowed to segregate um, our country based on boundaries, which are lines on a map. And I've spent enough of my time in the Middle East to realise that just drawing lines on a map for boundaries has been learnt by um, civilizations um, much older than ours and we're still sitting here stuffing around with it. Um, the, the, the constitutional requirement of uh, you know, quarantine is actually at the federal level and we could have ended, um, we could have prevented all of this madness by simply locking down our international border and establishing proper um, processing um, regulations here um, in Australia. And I spent the first half of this pandemic in Sydney and uh, my military mindset immediately identifies that we're dealing with a pandemic that targets those that are vulnerable, being those who are much more elderly or those that have comorbidities. And also given the fact that it's an airborne virus, um, is able to be easily transmitted through, you know, those high population density areas. And I sat there in Sydney, completely locked down as a 34 year old man who could have got out there and helped our economy keep going, which is a long-term risk while we protect our most vulnerable, only to then watch, you know, hotel quarantine to occur within the middle of Sydney city, our most highly population density city, um, with those who have the lowest socioeconomic um, bracket, you know, providing the cleaning and the delivering of Uber services and wondering how it would be able to spread so quickly. There's just no operational and tactical analysis going into these things. And that comes from not having politicians who have lived experience, who haven't been, um, you know, indoctrinated through uh, these professional political parties, who haven't been out there and been small business owners, who haven't been frontline medical workers. Um, that's where, again, my mindset always goes to trying to solve the problem up at the arterial bleed as opposed to dealing with the symptoms that are stemming from that. And until we start to actually put more effort and emphasis into who we pick and how we train our politicians, that's why I keep saying that, you know, there's so many individual lessons we can learn from this pandemic, but there's a way in which we can actually provide a proper cure, a proper vaccination for our leadership crisis. And we have that opportunity coming up for the next federal election. And I'm looking forward to it as well. I think that, you know, again, with so much uncertainty and disruption, it's an opportunity for great change. And, uh, and of course, seeing the likes of yourself and, and others stepping up during this time, I'm actually really hopeful and optimistic mm. that we're going to be able to create the change moving forward. I don't have, we don't have much time left, but I've got a couple of more questions for you, mate. And um, again, during this movement, you know, a lot of people call themselves freedom fighters and, and we're fighting for freedom and that sort of thing. But you literally are a fifth generation freedom fighter. And uh, clearly that means something to you completely different to a lot of people. So I guess looking at what's taken place, you, you've got a very global view of, of real war and real democracy, freedom, and also the opposite of that. And seeing everything that's taken place over the last two years, do you feel like it, it is a bit of an attack on freedom and democracy in general, the way that a lot of these Western countries have behaved. You see what's happening in Canada at the moment. What is your take on that? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. Um, you know, just last night, my cousin uh, has just joined the army and is off in two weeks time to be the sixth generation. So yeah, I, I definitely don't take this lightly. And this, this conversation of freedoms, you know, within our country, the biggest risk Australia has is just how insulated and ignorant we are often here down in our 
island girt by sea and it's very hard for us to get that perspective given we are in such a, a privileged position down here and um, you know it's then the responsibility of people like myself people who have traveled overseas people who have served overseas to make sure we bring that perspective back to what we are here and you know at the moment i see us pulling ourselves apart over um, you know these directives that are coming down from on top but then at the same time i go out to my local community i go out to my local shopping center i see people who aren't abiding by some of these regulations that don't make common sense and it gives me hope back in that humanity that we have here and now but the simple fact that we have politicians particularly the state level stepping up and using freedoms as privileges or things that they can take away means that we are already gone way off track uh, from this system and uh, again I'm caught in that nexus between what's being told and what's actually happening here on the ground. That's the only way I'm able to, to hold on to my faith here. But, you know, what you see over in Canada at the moment um, is, is pretty incredible and pretty shocking to see. And the only thing I bring from my lived experience is, um, you know, just needing to make sure that unless I've seen it with my own actual eyes and been actually there, I don't know the full picture, but there is some pretty scary stuff going on there. And that's why I went down to Canberra um, yesterday. And there's a lot of people who, uh opportunists of chaos uh, there are a lot of people who love this fear um, and control through fear and all i know is that um, inspiration um, is the most powerful form of motivation and we need to get back to that but the best thing that we can do in the meantime is look at these problems practically and pragmatically and see what we can we can do at our own level um, but when it comes to the case of freedom look the biggest issue we have is we actually have a pretty good constitution here in australia um, and the constitutional law hasn't been abided by. The government has abdicated its responsibilities as far as being responsible for, for quarantine and abdicated that down to the states. And you know what, guys, every single time the system has failed, you've seen the military called out here in Australia, um, be that from manning borders, manning hotel quarantine, assisting in vaccinations, being called into nursing homes. Um, you know, that's how I know the systems and processes of the military work. I know the culture in the military works. It's not perfect, um, but it's definitely got those systems, processes, and the biggest part is accountability. And that's the biggest issue that I don't yet know how to propose the best policy for at the moment, outside of putting together a party to go in there and to start to achieve what we can at our own bubble. But until we are somehow able to bring back accountability into this country, all these freedoms and everything else we talk about, when they get impacted, we have no mechanism through which we can actually hold them accountable. If we didn't have a federal election coming up in the next few months, I truly am fearful of how much further this would go and how much more this would progress. And a lot of people are talking about the need to establish a federal ICAC and all these sorts of things. And, and I ask you guys, after what we've seen over the last couple of years of, of bureaucrats taking power, chief health officers making directives, changing laws, I am very worried about another fully independent of the government bureaucratic organisation with the powers to hold the government accountable that hasn't been voted in by the Australian people and the inability for that to be put into a political tool. Until we review our governance and have some form of cut through leadership, um, I'm unsure how we're going to avoid our freedoms being impacted again. We can make amendments to the constitution such as a bill of rights or a bill of responsibilities, as I prefer to call it, but then that's how I came across the Australian value statement that so many people don't know about. Everyone coming into Australia, signing up to be an Australian citizen or to enter on a visa has to agree to the Australian value statement that includes respect for the freedom and the dignity of individual, commitment to the rule of law, uh, which includes the presumption of innocence, parliamentary democracy made by our government, 
a fair go for everyone and equality of opportunity based on um, not based on any labels that can be applied. If we simply applied those values as our bill of rights and responsibilities, we wouldn't be in this situation. Mm. And until we are somehow able to bring about accountability, that is at an intuitive level, you know, people do it because they know it's the responsible thing to do. I don't have the answer and I don't know if I'm comfortable with another organisation holding our government accountable. That's what the Australian people are meant to do and that's hopefully what we're going to do at this next election. Mm, it's exciting. I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. And uh, your message is a breath of fresh air, my friend. I really appreciate you coming on. The AVP is here and I'm looking forward to seeing what you uh, what you do in the near future. So again, Heston Russell, thank you so much for joining us on the Global Freedom Rally. I've got a feeling you're going to do some really big things uh, over the next 12 to 24 months and uh, whatever help you need, we're, we're here to support. So we appreciate the work that you do. We appreciate the bravery in your past and I know present and also moving into the future. And uh, we also appreciate you fighting for freedom and democracy. So thank you for joining us. Brilliant. Hey, thanks so much, guys. And please, anyone listening, help us out. Go to australianvalues.org.au and, and share our video, share our information. We just need that awareness because we're not getting anything in the media and the people power is where it's at so we can all do that absolutely again heston Brilliant. thank you so much thanks mate thank you guys have a good one take care leadership needs strength endurance perseverance and resilience it means leading by example and that includes looking after yourself join the team who knows what real leadership is authorized by heston russell australian values party brisbane